Hi there. Welcome to Tech Talk Weekly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is our weekly show where we talk about three to four interesting tech topics and send you on your way in about 20 minutes. Do you have any idea why your knees don't buckle? Maybe you'll find out. Uh, normally this time, I'm introducing our guests uh, for that, that I have, but we had an issue with getting our guest uh, live in today. So I'm just going to pick up on the news stories and I added an extra one at the end for you. Uh, so we're going to start with Dart. And if you don't know what Dart is, uh, we've covered this on the show a couple of times over the past few year um, as it's been going out. And Dart actually went in uh, last September and smashed into an asteroid. It was a supposed to smash into it it was we sent out this satellite to go smash into there and see if we could move its orbit the reason they picked this particular asteroid was it had a really good spot for how far how close that was uh going to be so we will go forward from there to we finally got from last september till now some really good reports this one picture that you can see here is the actual image taken by the telescopes of when DART smashed into the rock. And it turned out it wasn't a single rock. It was a whole bunch of different rocks. And it was much more of a thing. There's five separate papers. I'm not going to link to all of those in the chat, but I will put in a thing there for you so that you see all of uh, access to all of these possible um, papers right there in the chat for you. And... What happened is they were able to successfully hit the asteroid and knock it off course. But now they found out they knocked it off course a lot more than they thought it would. And it actually took, uh, let's find out right here, at um, 33 minutes faster than it did before the impact as far as changing how fast it orbits and moves. So it was able, they projected it would only go about seven minutes worth, and it actually goes 33 minutes worth of orbit. Uh, and by that, we mean instead of it spinning at seven minutes and orbiting around itself, the two little asteroids, it actually orbits much slower now at 33 minutes. So they were able to affect it by that much. It's a really amazing thing that happened. Plus, it took a long time for that ejecta as it's called, to come out and leave a little trail behind it. And it took a long time for that to settle back down in the minor gravity that it's got out there. So you're going to want to go read all these uh, notes because it is some amazing stuff in there. But it is definitely worthwhile to track to see because this is how we're going to do the real stuff. If uh, Talking about movie-type things of Armageddon and those we're not using nuclear weapons. We're not going to be doing that. We're not sending people out to these things. It takes a long, long time to get there. But uh, it's about 100 years we have to get this really well done because that's when NASA thinks the next potential dangerous asteroid is going to be headed towards Earth. So we need to get this fixed now. Let's not wait around, right? Our next story about not waiting around and wanting things to move forward and happen is the robots are here and taking our jobs. And in this case, that's probably a pretty good thing. 
Uh, I have in my past, I've worked with contractors and having to rig buildings and repel off of things and doing, and it's not a simple, fast thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. It's actually one of the more dangerous jobs out there. And it is going to be potentially replaced by robots. And there's the reason this is this story is unique is that there's actually two different companies doing this at the same time using two radically different types of machinery, and they're both out there working now. This isn't something that's happening in the near future and, oh, well, you know, someday the window washers are going to be out of a job. This is now. There's two different kinds. One is called Skyline Robotics and one is Vero Robotics. The Skyline one is very much like this picture here is the on a cable coming down and it's squirting water and scrubbing and cleaning the um, windows for you as you're going up or down. The other one uses just brushes to clean. It doesn't use any uh, liquid inside of it to have to go out and do that. And it is much more of a walking with uh, suction cups as you're going down the side of the um, building. Two advantages of this. One is that they are able to do this with, um, like I said, no person has to be there to do it. So we're all good to go with that. And then you don't even need water for it. You need to be able to just do this and you can obviously work at night. You can do all these sorts of things with it to keep on going and setting this kind of stuff up. So again, it, this is a really good thing of replacing dangerous jobs and it allows you to keep on going down uh, and keep working 24 hours a day. And one of the things you probably don't think about is because these robots have all these sensors on them, they can actually detect cracks, building errors and stuff like that faster and quicker even at night and be able to report that kind of stuff back so it'll end up being safer buildings and fewer window leaks and all that kind of stuff. So really nice, really good stuff using robots the right way. Uh, our third story, it kind of makes sense, right? Practice makes perfect. We always talk about that, that practice is something that we need to be doing. Um, and if you want to get good at something, you have to practice something. Well, it turns out the same thing is true for our knees and all of the other stuff. And I know it sounds kind of like, duh, of course, Bob. If I practice, if, if I'm a soccer player, you know, football, baseball, whatever sport you're playing, and I do practice and I do more, I'm going to get good at it. It's going to make my, make my body respond better. Well, they've actually got studies now to prove just where and how that limit is and what happens and why those injuries happen because you've seen it before you're watching a sporting event they'll just be running down the field and all of a sudden bang their knee goes out or and they tear an acl or whatever and they've got some really good things in here and they figured out some potential ways of avoiding it and getting as much as a 50 percent reduction in the damage to people's knees and the chances of happening for the non-contact stuff. So this is if you've got anyone in youth sports, this is a really good article. Go take a look at it and read and follow through and find out those um, studies because they talk about what you have to do and when the most 
uh, likely time is that you're going to have a break, that you're going to have something that your cognition is going to slip and stop controlling where your knees fit just perfectly. And yeah, giving it away, part of it is just field conditions. You have a, a lousy field to run on, yeah, you're going to have a bigger, harder time of doing it. Our next story, though, that ties in right with this was all about taking breaks. And I know you're like, Bob, I want to take a break. I feel pretty good about taking breaks. And that is true. That is a really good thing. You should be taking a break during your normal work days, etc. However, it turns out when they're doing psychological experiments in a lot of in different types of studies where you have to go in, you take some tests, you do these things and go off, you go through and start your test, your testing stuff, you take a break, and when you come back to the test, your mood is down. You do not actually feel refreshed from taking these breaks. And they found out that, uh, this again, these studies were really in-depth of going through and finding out, okay, are we giving them the same kind of breaks? Are they doing the same types of studies? Who is doing these kinds of things and making this happen? So all of that is taken into account. And it turns out that giving a person a break when they're active and engaged in something is a bad thing to enforce a break on someone because you were feeling uh, alone, dejected, uh, some various other adjectives that were brought up in the studies because you aren't allowed to keep doing what you were wanted to do. You were participating, you were active, you were doing things and you are now not allowed to do those things and you're have to wait and do. And so it actually affects the second part, the next part of the study after the break. So now they're having to redesign some studies and redo them to see if when we ask these certain questions and the drift in the study, where that goes, is that something that we need to add or subtract? Do we need to shift questions before and after breaks, et cetera, to make sure we're getting the exact same type of thing for each of our studies and going on. Again, really interesting stuff. It's out of uh, nature, human behavior. It's really fun. The article itself is kind of intense <laughs> when you start getting into the study, but it, but it reads fairly well for the average person. So go ahead and try that out. And then our last story today is who gets credit for what? Now, this story came into my feeds because of AI. Uh, there's, you know, some court uh, rulings recently, or not court rulings, I apologize, some uh, copyright office rulings on what can be copyrighted, who gets the credit when an AI creates a piece of art. And so I stumbled upon this article by mistake, and I was like, huh, so who does matter does it matter who gets the actual credit for what goes on? And I am going to say yes. I mean, my argument on this is it does very much matter who gets the credit because far too many people get marginalized who could have gotten credit for it. I'll look for DNA, obviously, uh, if you've watched that one just there, I, you do know that a woman invented 
invented, discovered DNA, and two male scientists took credit for it. It wasn't until years later that that came out. Same thing here with the telephone. How many different people came up with various methods of the telephone, came up with different ideas, but popular culture history now says Alexander Graham Bell is the one who created the telephone. And it's really that Alexander Graham Bell, his, his patent hit the patent office after the first one, but he was able to finish the filings and turn in the paperwork, the complete paperwork, including the fees, faster. So his patent got taken care of first, even though another one came in chronologically earlier. So that person didn't get all of the credit. I think that this is a really useful thing to think about if, when you're talking with your friends and family about who's going to get credit for this discovery. For AI, when you're talking about ChatGBT and who's writing these things and writing all this type of stuff, what's going to happen and how is it going to make, work for giving that credit away? Think about that. It's going to be an interesting life going forward here, huh? As we, as we all start talking about where are we going to assign creation credit versus popularization credit versus ownership? Because copyright is more about ownership, not about creating. Yeah, not as fun, is it? That's all we're going to do for today. Uh, we will be back next week. And if there is a favorite library or librarian you'd like to see on the show, email us creationstation at broward.org. And we'll see everybody next week. Have a great day.